I had a discussion with my daughter and I've been very lucky that I looked around in terms of childcare and I was able to get a registered childminder who is of Nigerian because I wanted a childminder that will impact a bit of my culture into my children because I knew, you know, I just, I wanted them to learn the language. I wanted them to learn my language. I wanted Yoruba to be um, the third language or second language. So I needed, and I wanted them to learn how to eat my food as well, you know, so things like that. So I looked around and very lucky to have a very good childminder. So with regards to childcare, we all know what um, childcare is all about. And I think when I became a single parent, um, I find myself not having to work full-time anymore at that initial stage because of the shock, the challenges, I mean, the prompt change that came about in my life, really. So it was more or less like um, zigzag, staggered at that point in time. And I had to go from full-time and then had to start doing like part-time and also start doing some bit of flexible shifts here and there gradually before I, I was able to stabilize myself and I brought myself back together, you know, before getting back on track. But there is no doubt when we are talking about, it's very difficult when we have children under, under 14 years. But now my kids are 15, you know, so it's much easier as it is. There's no need for any childcare anymore. But I could remember in those days, you know, because I remember what, I mean, I was, I was working in homelessness, working with an um, agency, working as homelessness officer in some places, housing officer. And I also managed a, um, a property, you know, in Kilburn. And I could remember there has been several instances where even the childminder will have to call me probably one reason or the other because of the child. And also even from the school as well, you know, because they are twin boys. So it's not as in it's one girl or one boy, you have two twin boys. And you know, boys, they have a lot of energy. So, and one could be quiet and the other one could be one way or the other, not see. So I'm always having phone calls from work. I mean, from school, your child has done this and I had to, one way or the other, I might just have to round up at work to go and then probably to go with the childminder. But I mean, like, like I said, it's, it's been a difficult journey, but at the same time, we all have to adjust, you know, to, to whatever the situation is. But with regards to the new normal, looking at what COVID has done at the moment, I could imagine the impact of COVID because on childcare, with the situation in which we are at the moment, you know, the uncertainty is not there. And I am at home at the moment and my children are doing online, but still it's a lot of hard work. You know, there's no childcare anymore, but it's still a lot of hard work and challenges because having to get a lot of emails from school, um, children not following these, children not submitting on time, children not doing one thing or the other, you know, so I still have to support my children with regards to homeschooling. And I know we all do. So we can see the challenges are still there, even despite their age, you know. So the challenges are still there for me, just like any other person. So with regards to that, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to round it, round it off. I just want it to be as interactive and I just want people to ask me any questions on, on anything with regards to um, what I'm doing or in terms of how I've been able to cope. 
But I could, I could remember one aspect, and I just want to share this, is as women, we face a lot of challenges. No doubt, we do a lot of work, housework, we do a lot of cleaning, we, we, put on, we put in so many hours, no doubt about that. But one thing I have always done is I have never been shy to ask for help. And I've never been shy to budget as well. Because I remember when my children were growing up and things were really difficult, despite the fact that the childcare element was there and the working tax credit was there. And I could not afford uh, you know, uh, it's all me now, and I could not afford to buy clothes for them. Like, every, you know, now we have Primark, but I'm not sure if there was Primark years ago when I was talking. And I would always look on the computer to look for where I could get cheap clothes. And I remember this particular experience. There was this, um, there was a, another set of twins who have had grown their clothes, and it's in Margate. I never knew where Margate was, I didn't bother to check the distance. So I was just fascinated by the fact that, oh, I'm getting a good deal. I'm getting a whole bunch of clothes that my children could use for the next one year at no expenses. I can't remember the ridiculous amount, very, very cheap. And I took a train from London to Margate to get all the clothes. Believe you me, when I got there, the clothes were in big bags. I could not carry it, but I took a cab from the house to the train station and I brought those clothes back to London. It was a journey of experience for me. I have no regrets that I did it. I am proud I'm sharing that knowledge because I was able to cut my coat and budget within my means. I was not ashamed of anything at all, but rather I was, I just wanted to do things to, with regards to my family, with regards to my finances, and at the same time look for every way to make sure that nothing is lacking in my children. So, and I've never been shy to ask for help. When I need help from anyone, especially um, my daughter who has been extremely supportive ever since I've been single parent, she has been very, very solid. And she, she's about 32 now, 31. So she's stood there, she's been extremely supportive. And with regards to my, and my, also my child minder. So, I mean, one thing I will say is, we must not be afraid to ask for help. Look, there is nothing happening to anyone that has not happened before. The more we are open about things, the better for one's mental health, like for me and for everyone, the easier you're able to have the discussion. And then you get a lot of ideas from others as well. If you don't share, you don't know what could come out of it. You, you know, so, I mean, those were the things a lot, a lot of things, but let me just write it, wrap it up like that, you know, when it comes to work and childcare. Yes, it could be challenging, but it's doable with focus, with hard work, ask for help. There's nothing to be ashamed, about, ashamed of. And there's nothing like a stupid question. Even if you keep asking repeatedly, there's nothing like a stupid question because you want to get it. You want to get to the bottom of it. That's why I'm asking. And I think I've done that several times, sincerely. I've had series where I will call um, um, HMRC or DWP and I'll call Hackney Council to say, oh, this is it. How, how am I going to do this? I must have asked, but I just wanted a clearer explanation to make sure I'm not making those mistakes. And I really didn't want my children to be 
I, I didn't want anyone to um, evict me from the house. So everything has to be on budget, you know, no matter how tough the situation is. And at the same time, still be happy with whatever situation. It can only be temporarily. And I know it's temporarily, it's come and gone and then life still moves on. Now we're in another sector of COVID. We still have to move on. We still have to talk about it. We still have to be open about it with regards to us, you know? So that's just the way I see things. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Shade. That was really interesting to hear about um, kind of your life and how you struggled, but how you've kind of powered on through. Um, yeah, very, very hardworking woman. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Um, I'm gonna pass it over now to um, Jakina uh, Barnes and she's gonna talk to us about um, her story. Hi everybody, I think I've unmuted myself there. Um, I was asked to speak by Amy um, as I actually left work due to, primarily due to childcare issues um, in August 2019. I nearly said last year because I'm kind of writing off 2020 as though it didn't happen. Um, I actually qualified as a nurse in 2013 and I had my daughter in April 2018. Um, I took a full year of maternity leave and then as it was coming to the end of that I was having meetings with my manager and the reason I the primary reason for me leaving work was actually financial because of childcare. Um, I was having meetings with my manager about flexible working and if I could sort of have set days or if I could have set shifts even to try and work it around my husband's work. Um, but I put in the two flexible working requests that you're allowed and they were both denied. Um, the second one that I put in, I actually got help from um, Pregnant Then Screwed, who's on Instagram and does a lot of work around flexible working. Um, she actually helped me quite a lot with my request, but they said that it was, um, they were unable to do it because of the nature of the work. Obviously, as a nurse, you do have to kind of be available to do different shifts and different working patterns. Um, so had I, well, I did go back to work for a while, but had I gone back to work long term, I would have been bringing home for working four days a week, I would have been bringing home about £300 a month. So obviously it's not something to be sniffed at. And I do feel very privileged that we were able to do without that money, because especially, I mean, I was growing up, that would have been make or break for me and my family. I was brought up by a single mum. But for us, in our lifestyle, it was just kind of, we realized that for what we were going through as a family and how difficult we were finding it at that time, the thing for me, the best thing for me to do was to leave work. Um, thankfully, I was able to get some casual work as a nurse. So by doing sort of one weekend or two weekends a month when my husband was at home, I was able to bring that money back home until COVID hit, which sounds odd because as a nurse, you'd think they would need you more, but they had a lot of... Um, staff redistributed so I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't actually needed anymore through COVID. Um, some of the issues that I faced really leaving work due to childcare issues it was mostly put on by myself. Um, I was the first member of my um, extended family to go to university so I had quite a crisis of confidence of thinking well I did three years at university and I've done the thing where you get married have a baby and now I'm leaving work did I do it for nothing? Um, which no one actually said to me in the family, you know, my mum said, well, is your rent going to be paid? Are your bills going to be paid? Well, then you'll be okay, basically. 
Um, but for me, I felt kind of a bit ashamed of it as though, you know, I'd worked since I was 13. It was going to be the first time that I'd not worked. Um, and I just, being a, a feminist, you know that it's all about choice, but sometimes you kind of have to have that word with yourself that you don't have to be the, the, fly, the high flying career person for that to be the right choice, as long as it's the choice for you. Um, sorry, I've got notes here because I wanted to make sure that I didn't just go off rambling. Um, let me think. So yeah, the, the issue that I had with my work, which I don't want to speak too badly of them because I still am in contact with people, um, was that if they had just given some flexibility, I was one of the most senior nurses on their floor. And I had a huge skill set. I'd been to university as a postgraduate to do further training. And they basically just lost that because although I went back to work for them casually, I was only doing weekend work, which means that you get you get far less responsibility. Um, you know, you kind of go do your job, come home. Whereas before I was, you know, leading the team, I was leading the, the visits, um, I was distributing the work. So they really did lose, not to sort of, my own home but they did lose quite a, a high up member of the team with a lot of skills that could have been shared um I also took student nurses which they lost and and it's so difficult at the moment to try and find enough nurses to take the student nurses and make sure that they have um the care the the care that they need really to get them through the training um let's just have a look <laughs> Oh, there was one judgment that I did get because I did a kind of little announcement on Facebook, as you do, that I was leaving work um, just so that I didn't have to get the question from everybody, which I think is probably how Amy found out as well um, that I was leaving work. And I did get a comment on there from an ex-colleague that I used to work with who said that the only reason that I was able to leave my job was because I was married to a doctor. So my husband is a doctor, but he's just qualified in August of 2020 um, following his training following 10 years of training and I've been with him through the whole <laughs> the whole 10 years so I will say to her that I didn't marry him for money um, but that kind of really shot me down because I was I was brought up really quite poor like below the poverty line by a single parent so I know what it's like to be poor and we're not poor but I, we're not rich like people think we are so that was kind of a it really kind of set me on a back foot for a while um, with people thinking that I would just be living this life of luxury and heading out on holidays and you know we rent a, a two up two down this is like our only downstairs room you know very fortunate compared to some but I think they thought that it was this big thing that I was going to be like a lady who lunches and <laughs> a kept woman in in all my jewels um, so I felt like I really had to justify um, my decision for my family which, um, as Shade said, you just have to do exactly what's right for your family, which I think is what my mum brought me up to know is she was a single mother and she went through some domestic violence issues. Um, if, if you look under dysfunctional in the, in the dictionary, then it is a picture of our family, basically. But she always did exactly what was right for us. Um, and although I've kind of taken a bit more of a regular, straightforward path than she did, um, I kind of had to remind myself that that was what we were doing, that we were making that decision for ourselves. Um, I am actually starting back work next week. I'm starting full time because now my husband's finished his training. He's able to, he's been able to go down to part time. So he's actually taking over the care of our two year old. 
on the days that I'm going to be at work and then she's going to be in nursery three days a week which means it's actually worthwhile for me working because I will actually bring a little bit of money home um, and also the, the pandemic being alone five days a week with a toddler was uh, was quite a lot so I'm quite ready to go back to work um, so it's all kind of come full circle um, but I don't know if anyone had any questions about how I've about anything but that's basically the story that that of my work career <laughs> yeah we've got a few minutes for questions if there's anyone who wants to ask Jakina if, if there's a about what she said or if there's anything else that they'd like to hear from Jakina can I just make it I mean based on what um, um Jakina have said I think there's something we as women and you know we all have we are all career minded and believe you me, there are so many women who have great careers who have actually gone to school, you know, to have the degree. But unfortunately, because of our commitment to our homes and our children, we are unable to use what we have learned. We're unable to get the work that we actually needed because it's especially at the initial stage, it's always very difficult, just like she said, she's a nurse. I, I mean, I when I read oil and gas management, and if I could tell you that up till today, I've not been able to use my oil and gas management to work because of my kids. So now, after 15 years, I'm now thinking, oh, they're now going to um, 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 college and now I can move on and do something. So there are a lot of barriers that we experience as women, you know, and I think these are some of the things we should really be looking into and also to be coming together to talk about these challenges, to campaign against these challenges, to work with union continually, you know, and also to join um, various, various groups that are uh, beneficial so that we can continue to talk about all this in terms of the, the, the problems we are all facing as women, you know, th that's... Um, thank you, Jakina. Um... Uh, while we wait for more questions, do you do you think that if, um, or maybe they have done this, I don't know, if economists or the government or someone did some sums into kind of how much is the, the money that's lost in this kind of knowledge drain, I guess, from women who are held back and not able to perform, to, and then they, the money that we spend then retraining people to fulfil those roles, would that then have an impact on how we treat women in the world uh, in the workplace and what childcare provision that we provide. I, I wonder, that's just a thought. This was something that I had actually said in my flexible working plan as I was, my postgraduate um, study that I did was paid for by my work. Um, and it, let, it meant that I could do procedures that, that a lot of people couldn't. And so I said that, you know, that they put me through that only the year before I got pregnant so I'd only really put those skills to use for two years um, before they were going to lose me and lose those skills and um, so that was something that I said but I couldn't you know I couldn't quantify it really um, other than just pointing it out. <laughs> well I mean I think that's I mean, an interesting oh sorry no I, I mean I, I think maybe the, it's something the government has to look into when we're looking at how in terms of childcare, maybe there is need for, uh, I mean, for the government to a bit of reform, reform actually, when it comes to childcare and making, I know there's been so, a lot of changes because we now have, um, like she said, we have um, 
paternity leave for fathers, you know, and things like that in order to make things easy. But at the same time, the two, three days, is it enough? Because you have a lot of mothers who within, within when you take, take your children to child care, I mean, and I mean, when they're still younger, you have just two, three days. The, the, the mothers or the parents are unable to do anything within those hours, you know, thereby it's more or less like we said. So I think it's something that we really need to look into, look at what other practices are happening in other countries, what work in other countries, what is it that we can actually bring in here to make things easier for us, you know, with regards to what is happening in UK, what are the additions that we can have? I think it's something that we really need, we should be talking about. It's a continuous effort. And I think we must continue to talk about it. Mm -hmm. I think, um, Amanda, did you have your hand up? Oh, yes. I, I just wanted to say it was really interesting to listen to you both. Thank you. And But I'm actually, you know, shocked to hear of the difficulties that you face. And I just wondered if I could ask Jakina why her work wasn't flexible enough to take her back. I, I just don't understand why they couldn't do it. To be fair, I don't really I don't really understand either. Um, as in my team, I was the only nurse that didn't have um, family childcare because we actually live about 200 miles away from both of our families. Um, so a lot of the other nurses, they weren't paying completely out of pocket for their childcare as we would have been. So I don't know if it's just that they'd got, in, they'd, they'd got used to the people having that option, although I'd brought it up quite a lot of times, you know, if it was just something that, um, that was kind of, you know, it, this is the way it's always been done. I just don't know, to be honest. Um, Anais, did you have your hand up? Yes, um, I was wondering if um, both of you, if you think that we can relate um, all this childcare position that it's almost mandatory for women with the capitalism system, because if we, if women were not at home taking care of the homes, taking care of the men, taking care of the husbands, taking care of the children, do you think this whole capitalism uh, economic system would be up and going? Sorry, I was just getting me unmuting myself. Me and my husband have spoken about this quite a lot, but um, basically the system that we live in now um, was started as, you know, if, you, if I look at sort of when my grandparents got married and had children, my granddad was a labourer on the steelworks in Scunthorpe and he supported the family and two children and they bought a house, ran a car. They used to go on holidays, not, you know, not abroad, but they used to go on a holiday every year to some seaside town somewhere in, the, in England. And the case um, now is that you basically, you need the two incomes if you want to support the family, if you're living in a two income household. I, I say to my mum all the time, who I was brought up by a single mum, I don't know how she did it as a single person, because one for the support and two for the financial um, aspect. But I think that a lot has changed and the, the world hasn't kind of changed with it. Um, what I can say is it's, in, it's, I mean, to add to what um, she has said, is in the various fold. How do I mean? What happened in the 60s, there is a key factor that has made it beneficial and 
for them to be, for things to be much easier in the 60s. And that is housing. Housing made everything easier and compared to what we have today, where we all have to struggle, everyone has to struggle. The social housing is no longer there like it should be. If we have more social housing, I mean, where the government of the day, I mean, talking, looking at from the Thatcher era, where we now have private render, where everything has gone up. If we have, if government had built more social housing to support a lot of people, probably this will have been, we will have been in a much better position as we are speaking. And then we will have been able to support ourselves. Probably we will have a situation where if you live in council flat and everybody will have stabilized and willing to move on, not people staying put, and it is because of where the economy is. So I think housing is one of the key, key issues that is still causing a lot of this. And when you look at what is happening with private rented sector, how much is one bed flat in Hackney? How much is two bed flat in Hackney? And are these determined by us? No, they are determined by the policies, by the government policies, and so many factors around that. So I think those are the key things. Those are some of the key things that still need to be looked. And it has an all-round effect. The housing has an effect because you need to pay for the house. The mother or the father needs to work. Like I said in my own case, I could not afford not to work despite the problem I was having, despite my domestic violence. I remember when it happened and I went to um, Royal Free and the nurse said, oh, you have a cat life. It's just an inch to your artery. But if you could believe, I went back to work the third day because I needed to feed my children. There is, I, I, I mean, the support I'll be getting will not be as much as what it should be. And I just wanted to make, I wanted to move on that. Okay, I'm still alive. I'm not dead. Do you understand? But assuming, I wasn't living in it. I mean, things were just very tough at that time. You know, I've just had a breakup with regards to my marriage and things were really bad. But there on, there on, I moved into a private sector housing and I knew how much I was paying as rent. So from time onwards, I cannot afford not to work. I just have to keep working to maintain my children, to maintain myself, to maintain my family. So when we look at that question, it's not one size that fits all. It's a holistic, um, it's a holistic question that we all have to look into. There are so many things that, you know, that encompass that question together in terms of getting an answer to it. So it's not about just one thing, but a lot of, um, I mean, let me just put it that way. Thank you, Shade. Um, I'm just going to say, just because we'll run out of time otherwise, we're going to go into breakout rooms now, um, which I'm going to, so there'll be Eliani has a group, and uh, Roshni has a group and Daisy has a group. And um, we're just randomly assigning everyone to those three groups. Um, and um, there's a question, one second. Um, I will just get those questions up, although those facilitators do have the questions, but I'm just gonna read them out now quickly. And we'll just take the top three because the group isn't as large as it was last week. So the first question is, uh, during the two world wars, um, the British government provided free childcare to encourage women to work and help in the war effort. How does this statement make you feel about childcare provision today? Uh, the second question, I'm gonna skip number two actually and go straight to number three. Um, so this is Roshni's group. That first one was Eliani's group. 
first group, Roshni's group, uh, second group, Roshni's group. The current crisis has highlighted uh, the unfair division of late. Sorry, I've got lots going on on my screen at the minute. The unfair division of labour and childcare, with women taking on 50% more childcare during the first lockdown. What do you think needs to be done to achieve equality in this area? And then um, lastly, Daisy's group, have feminists, uh, feminism in its quest for equality rather than liberation, which is obviously contested, it depend, depends what you think about it, led women out of the frying pan, but into the fire with adverse repercussions for themselves, their families and social well-being. Now, your facilitators have those questions, so you don't need to remember them. And I'm gonna open up the rooms now. Okay, so everyone's coming back now after the breakout rooms slowly. So uh, Anais, do you want to, I don't know who you want to feedback from your group if you've chosen someone. If you just remind us of your question uh, and then um, give your feedback, that'd be brilliant. All right, um, our question was what have we learned about the role of women as seen through the current government with coronavirus messaging about homeschooling? And um, I didn't know because I didn't see but you kind told me she told me about the government advertise about homeschooling, which is where is all women. <laughs> so that's clear. That's the answer, isn't it? That's the message. Free labor. We we also we also talk about that how how women are seen as free labor for society. We can take care of everything, and um, we also talked about um, nursery because the nursery is open. And we if we think about that, nursery staff they are mainly women who perhaps are mothers, and they are very very unpaid. And the nurseries are all open and we talked about how um, even if even if the husband the man are working at home how we all feel the pressure to keep doing the housework keep doing the lunch keep preparing lunch preparing food cleaning and taking care of everything and I'm a single mom myself so I, I totally understand and know how difficult it is to homeschooling, work, take care of the house, uh, you know, give time to your child, give time to yourself, give time to your to your work and everything you want to do. So what we learned through the government is that they think they as white rich men who probably had nannies and maids or women taking care of everything. We also talked about that as we are all seen as free labor for them and how they actually put us, put women in a difficult place. And as they, um, I don't know the word in English, but as the base of society, kind of, in a way. Thank you. Um, I think there's gonna be a lot of crossover in our conversations, already themes coming up that we discussed as well. Um, who was the other group? Was it Daisy? Did you have a group? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So our question was: Have feminists, in their quest for equality rather than liberation, led women out of the frying pan into the fire with adverse repercussions for themselves, their families, and social well-being? Um, I actually found it quite difficult to like have 
good reflections on this question because I haven't got to the kind of point in my life where I'm having to make these decisions. Um, but Shade was going to feed back kind of the main bits of our discussion. Um, she's here. Yeah, thanks, Daisy. I think um, I think there was something that you actually said which was very powerful, um, which Daisy said when we're looking at this. First of all, when we are looking at the narrative of feminism with regards to the ideology and um, the movement and also equal rights. But, you know, we all know about the history. We all know what happened to the, um, to the, I mean, to the women's um, suffragettes, suffragettes and all that. And coming to our, our, our situation now where, and based on what we are talking about with regards to um, various activity. But this is said something why we were having that discussion. And she said, based on what she's hearing, just like what she has said, she said, um, there's a lot of, um, I mean, you said you're not sure in terms of the future, but right now you are still very young. And that brings in a lot of questions for all of us. You know, when we are talking, when we are looking into feminism, when we are looking into equal rights, and when we are looking into this movement for us, and I said something initially, I said, look, when we look at Equality Act 2010, it talks about all this, but there's something we, we just have a motion that we just brought on in Hackney Cancer. And if anyone is willing to follow up, I just want to mention that before I go ahead. If anyone is willing to follow up, we are looking at a situation where single parenting will be added as part of the characteristics. Because when we look at single parent, when we look at what we are going through, the challenges we are going through, and when you look at those characteristics in terms of Equality Act, so we are now moving forward in terms of, so we've, we've actually passed the motion in Hackney Council, and we're going forward with that discussion, you know, in terms of single parents having that same right, you know, under Equality Act 2010. So if anyone is willing to continue, to continue with that discussion, please feel free to send me an email and then our phone number and then we'll take it on from there. So what we talked about in terms of feminism, has it, I mean, like, like, like we said, it's, it's a detailed discussion and we can't, we can't quantify what has happened in the, in the years ago, in the sixties, or even proud to that, to what is happening now. We know the history of the story of suffragettes. We knew how much they suffered. We knew how much women were working in the laundries and all that, and compared to what we have at the moment. So a lot has changed within us, even including our environment. And that's why we're talking about climate change based on various things that have changed. So it can't be the same norm no longer. We have to change with time. But at the same time, one key thing I want us to look into is this. What happens to our younger generation? You, and, and I said something in terms of we women, a lot that we do in the work. What happens to our younger, young men? How much support, how much support are parents giving them? I just want us to look outside this, outside this context. How much support are we giving to our young men in terms of helping in the house? How much education are we discussing with them so that it becomes a norm for them to support their partners in future without having any problem, without thinking it is the woman that has to do this. So it's something I just want us to look for, I mean, to take forward from this discussion. I am saying this, I'm doing that in my house as I speak because my children can cook, they can do everything, they are two boys. 
seriously. And I'm doing this because of my own experience and from what I've seen. So what sort of future do I want to lay for my children? How do I want them to respect? It starts from us, it starts from the beginning. So when we are looking at feminism, when we're looking at equal rights, when we are fighting for all this, we also have to practicalize this interaction in our different homes, in our different community and speak about it. And that is how we can get the messages much longer. This is a deep discussion that we really can't um, have. We can't do a lot of justice to it, but I'm just going to wrap it up like that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Shade. And, and I think that's what we hope for these events, that it's, it sparks that thinking in you that you can then go and do some more research and more reading and we will be sending you resources um, after the session. Um, we just quickly move to the last group, which was ours, and Elizabeth is going to feed back. Um, I think ours follows on really nicely, actually, from what Shade's group was just saying. Um, we we, Benjamin used a lovely phrase about needing healthy parents. And I think what we understood from Benjamin's comment on that was the idea of kind of present parents, mentally well parents, physically well parents. And that was really nice for us. I talked about my experience last week. Um, I'm a secondary school teacher and I was teaching a poem and it was about a daughter leaving home written from the perspective of the mother. And all of my year 10 students, so the age 15, 16 year old, both genders all said, oh, she's obviously leaving home because she's going to start her own family. So me being a proud feminist and a teacher said, what, how do you know that? Where's your evidence for that? But it was the assumption that a woman would leave her home and from their point of view, only leave to start her own family. Um, and I said, what about her going to university? What about her going traveling? So I think perfectly leading, uh, following on is the idea that we do need to have these conversations with both genders. I think that's very important that we're open as whether we're parents ourselves, whether we're teachers, um, and definitely kind of welcoming and encouraging these conversations. So that was kind of the, what we discussed in our group. Thank you very much. Thank you. And then, oh, we have, yeah, we have Eliani's group next. Sorry, I missed you out there. That's all right. So. We, our question was um, about how in the Second World War the government gave free childcare to women to encourage them to work and kind of discussed how that made us feel in comparison to the childcare provisions now. So I'm going to pass over to Amanda who has kindly agreed to summarise what we said. Thanks and I'll, I'll try and be brief because I'm conscious time is running out but um, we had a really interesting wide-ranging discussion and we were talking about well obviously in the Second World War the government wanted women in the paid workforce um, producing you know for the war effort and now they're not so bothered um, in fact they don't really care I don't think what happens to, to a lot of women on low incomes but um, but we were saying we don't want to replicate this in terms of we want people's quality of life to be good. So, we, you know, everybody, we were saying it's it should be really good if men and women can work part time, but they can have childcare and, and they also need to have a decent standard of living. But we were sort of reflecting on how, you know, since the Second World War, we've gone through the 50s when it was like women should be back in the home, women should be consumers, we should endlessly want to buy new clothes and all the rest of it. And how, you know, we've got to unpick all that sort of consumerism and, and just try and hopefully, you know, get to a position where like with Jakina, you know, she's trying to juggle working part time and sharing childcare with her partner. And that 
I think will produce psychologically healthy children and psychological health for us because we're also reflecting on the fact that when women have kids often, you know, the first year women are very, very isolated and that's not good for, for their mental health. So, you know, so we, we, we discuss lots and we also discuss the fact that, you know, we, because of climate change and stuff, we don't want to, the economy to just get, you know, every women to be forced into doing Mac jobs to produce stupid stuff that doesn't contribute to anybody's quality of life. You know, it, we need to, to slow things down. So we're actually thinking about everybody's quality of life. Um, and we talked a bit about housing and um, the fact that how, you know, state housing has been broken up. And so like as Sade said, that means that people are often forced into working you know irrespective even if if it's if it's really hard and difficult for them um so uh, you know we had we were talking about lots of really interesting stuff I'm not sure if I've remembered it all have I Eliani but I think that's a good summary <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you so much thanks um Anae you had a question and you were wondering if Shade had some thoughts on that yeah, um, I came from Brazil and Brazil is a country majority black and um, I have lots of black friends and they are always um, trying to talk about me about my white feminism, which is great. And then I, I, I would like to maybe ask you to talk about how this is even more difficult for black women because we have slavery rooted in our society and black women, they're much more objectified than white women. And they are already like straightforward related to labor, right? So how, how society make this even difficult, even more difficult for black women? Yeah, I mean, I quite agree with you. Um, I think that is still happening up to now, right from slavery trade. Um, there's some of the problem are still happening up till now. But one thing I, I have seen and what I can say is, is this. Changing this narrative, changing this narration of per perception, it's a community effort, it's an effort for all of us. And how do I mean? And I think there should be more education in terms of, in terms of blackness, in terms of our ways of life. We all have different DNA, but we are all the same. And I, so we, I mean, I think the education is still on, it's not irrespective of one's color, it's not about the color. The first thing you should see is a human being. So if we have a discussion in that line, you're not seeing color, but you are seeing someone like yourself, irrespective of the color. A typical example is our NHS. When you look at the majority of people in NHS, and when you look the amount of work they have done, would you say because you're a white person, you wouldn't want a black person to treat you? It's about saving lives. It's about us. So I will say, because I have had my own personal experience on that. My children have had their own personal experience on that in school to the extent that I had to take my children out of school for one year because of discrimination before I brought them back into the country. So there's a lot to talk about. But it's, aside, I mean, the fact that we're talking about it. I think the most important thing, message we should be sending out is how do we get rid of this? How do we educate ourselves? What are those areas? And we have to be truthful. I've had a discussion with someone who said, you know what? I don't understand where they're saying anything like this because I don't see it around me. Yes, people might not see it, but it's happening. 
those things are happening with regards to work, you know, in terms of discrimination at work, it's happening. In terms of bullying, harassment, all those things are happening. But most importantly, racism, yes, it's happening. A typical example, look at what happened, what is happening to our MD Dan Abbott. We have all read it. We have all seen it. The amount of racist comments, and even including myself with regards to what happened last week at the full council. But the point is, how do we carry those positive messages along? The world has come to a small village now. Seriously, we are now one small village. A lot of interracial marriages. How do we carry these messages along to make sure hate, no place for hate in our community. There is no place for hate in our homes. Even the way we talk in the house, the kind of conversation we have in the house, the kind of conversation we have in our friends, because it's very easy for children to pick what we say as parents or as teachers, like Elizabeth says, or as anything in our workplace. So those are little, little things that we just have to question ourselves. And possibly you might not know you are doing anything, but will anyone be willing to accept correction in a nice way to say, oh, this is something I've observed you are doing. How do we respond to that? Would we be willing to accept genuinely and say, oh, I didn't know I'm doing something of such. Could you let me know if I'm doing that again or things like that? So there are real conversations that we need to talk about. But I want us to, be, to send out a much more positive messages. You know, we can't take away the history. The history is there. It, the, it is the history that leads us to where we are and leads us in terms of the fight and everything that we're advocating for. But the more positive messages we send around, the more practicality of those messages and action we, we put around and we, we, we let people see, the better it goes forward within our community. And then it's a way for us to say, there is no place for hate anywhere, you know, and then we just have to timely stop in it, correction in a very nice way. And we just have to be gentle with our approach with it. That's all I can say about that. Thank you, Shade. Thank you so much. Uh, I think Jikini just had a book to share and then we'll, um, we'll start just closing up. Yeah, it was just cycling back to what Shade was saying about what we can do in our own homes. And it's not like a niche book or anything. It was especially um, around sort of this in um, June, July last year when there were the big Black Lives Matter protests. Um, but it's the Me and White Supremacy book. Um, and it's how to recognize your privilege, combat racism and change the world. And it's a workbook um, that you go through that me and my husband did it ourselves, especially with him being an NHS doctor, because they've seen quite a lot of um, unrecognized uh, or sort of unconscious bias um, within especially white doctors. So we, um, we work through that together. Um, and it's, it's really helpful to kind of combat your own un, um, unconscious biases, especially as white people. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so you've seen Amy's put the, this poll up. If you could fill, just take a minute to fill that in, that would be really useful for us. And then in the meantime, I would just like to say thank you so much to Shade and Jakina. Uh, thank you for taking the time to speak to us this evening. It was so interesting. Uh, you really got to understand about how difficult it is for women today. Uh, in, especially in regards to kind of the working world and childcare, and you've both shown such incredible strength and resilience in the face of the challenges that you've had to endure uh, and, and kind of both doing such worthwhile work as well alongside that. So yeah, 
thank you so much. Um, it's been a real pleasure to hear from you this evening. And thank, and, and thank you for uh, all our attendees as well. I, again, the conversations we've had have been incredible and uh, I'm really, really enjoying doing this series. Thank you, thank everyone. You, everyone. And thanks again thank to so our much. lovely volunteers for letting us help, for helping us facilitate too. Um, yeah. Elizabeth, was there something you had your hand up? Did you just want to share something before we close? No, I was doing a little clap. I was doing. Oh. My, <laughs> my, my I'm still things. getting used to all of the many functions. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, thank everyone. Thank you all. Thank, thank you, everyone. Much. Have a nice thank day. Thank you. Nice to see you next Bye. week. We've got more great speakers. <laughs> thank you.